Hi folks, good morning. Welcome to church. Good to see you. How are we all doing? Great. Wonderful, me too. Uh, it's great to see you here. If you're new to the church, welcome. It's great to have you here with us as our guests. Uh, we're on the Sermon on the Mount. We're on the eighth week now, and we've been working through the most famous sermon ever preached by the most famous man, Jesus Christ, ever. If you've missed, if you've just recently joined us and you've missed what we've been teaching on, if you go to our website, uh, you'll see the, you can download all the messages you've missed and you can take time at your own leisure just to, to listen in and catch up. But Jesus Christ is amazing. He's our hero. If you don't know him today, I would encourage you to reach out to him. He's here by his spirit and he loves you more than you will ever know. He's incredible. Let's pray and then we'll, we'll turn to the Bible. Father, thank you so much that you're with us today. We love you, God. We thank you, God, that you, the creator, would care for us so much that 2,000 years ago you were willing to come and Jesus Christ, you, the Son of God, came and you died on the cross in our place. And on the third day you rose again. And that is the biggest fact in the world. And believing in that saves us, Lord. And we believe in that, Lord Jesus. We trust in you. We ask, God, that you'd move among us today. Thank you, you have a specific plan and purpose for every person in this auditorium. You know them better than they know themselves. And I pray today as we take time just to look at some of the big thoughts you have in the Bible, that you would challenge us and you'd take us forward and you would speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, there was a guy who went to the doctor one day. He was utterly paranoid, tons of paranoid thoughts going through his head. And he sits down with the doctor and said, Doctor, everyone hates me. And the doctor said, you shouldn't say that. Not everyone's met you yet. <laughs> Some people have just got this persecution kind of complex in their head. They think everyone's against them. And um, today we're not talking about that, but we are talking about what it means to be persecuted. Some people have kind of adopted a persecution mentality. Even Christians have. They hijack verses like this that we're going to look at and they use it as an excuse to kind of have this strange martyrdom complex. Well, that's not what we're talking about. I want to share with you today from uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 into 12, where Jesus gives us the last of what is called the Beatitudes. And in it, he tells us that we will be persecuted. Not that we will have a persecution complex, but that we will be persecuted as we live an authentic Christian life. Let's read the verses. Blessed, Jesus said, are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now that is not how the world would define being happy. The word blessed means happy. Blessed are or happy are those who are persecuted. I mean, that's just a crazy statement as far as the world is concerned. You're going to be happy if you're persecuted. That's nuts as far as the world is concerned. The Cosmopolitan magazine, uh, which I always read, obviously, uh, had an article and it, it talked about how true happiness is achieved by achieving satisfaction without any personal sacrifice. Only true happiness and satisfaction can be achieved when you achieve satisfaction without any personal sacrifice. Jesus said, blessed are the persecuted. 
You see, there is a cost to being associated with Jesus. And this is the biggest cost. Persecution is probably the biggest cost of being a disciple. You see, people think happiness is found when everything's going smoothly, when there's no conflict, when everyone's your friends, when there's no issues in life. But Jesus, contrary to that logic, says, blessed are those who are persecuted. Here Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry in Matthew 5, he's the king. The Jews have for a long time anticipated the coming of a Messiah, a king. And here now the king has arrived, and this has been called by many the manifesto of his kingdom. So here Jesus is delivering the manifesto of his kingdom to all these thousands of people who had gathered on this hillside, the mount, and he's declaring to them, this is what my kingdom's all about. Now, it's not a very good marketing pitch, really. He's saying, you want to be part of my team? You want to join my kingdom? It's fantastic. You'll get persecuted. You'll be so happy. Join my club. You know, this was not the best marketing technique. And yet, this is what he was saying. He was saying, if you're going to follow me, there's going to be persecution. But there, in that, in the midst of that, you're going to find the greatest satisfaction you'll ever find in life. If I'm to be honest, one of the biggest reasons for me not becoming a Christian up until I was 15, I remember as a young teenager going to school and being in RE classes and I would be cringing because I, I went to church every Sunday. I wasn't proud of it. I thought church was dull. I, I thought people associated Christianity with boring and I was therefore, I didn't want to be associated with that. I wanted to be cool. I wanted to be in the in crowd. And, um, and you know, uh, the for that reason, I, I just re- resisted thinking about making a commitment to God. I didn't want to be, have that kind of label on my life. But I remember being so impacted by God when I was 15 that I, not by, by my religion, not by the way I'd seen church, but by God himself. And when God impacted me, I thought, how could I not live for God? And I went from being a cowardly wimp who wanted to please people to being someone who actually I didn't really care that much what people thought about me. And what mattered more to me was what God thought. And I have to say, great satisfaction came. So what does it mean to be blessed if you're persecuted? What is blessed persecution, right? Let's say what it doesn't say to start with. It doesn't say blessed are those who are persecuted because they are objectionable. It doesn't say that. Some Christians are just out and right weird. Now Jesus wasn't that. You see, when Jesus walked this earth, there was nothing about him that could offend you. That is in the way he was, the way he acted. Now, the only thing that could have offended you about Jesus was the truth he stood for. And he did offend people greatly by the truth he stood for. But he didn't have a kind of hygiene problem. He didn't have B.O. He wasn't offensive in his behavior. He didn't have kind of dried crustaceans on his top lip. He didn't have scraggly bits in his beard or kind of long hairs coming out of, you know. He, he wasn't like, he wasn't, it wasn't an objection. He didn't have bad breath. I pray for you. <laughs> no, there was nothing objectionable about Jesus. He wasn't flaky. When he started telling people the word of the Lord, he didn't change his voice. God's hands. When he did miracles, he didn't kind of make it weird. He was just incredibly normal, yet radical. And this was God in the flesh. There was nothing objectionable about Jesus other than the truth he stood for. And that did object and that did offend people. But in the human way, nothing was objectionable about him. He wasn't flaky. He wasn't weird. It says in John 15, 25, Jesus said, they hated me without a cause. 
If you ask people, why did you crucify Jesus? Why did you hate him? They couldn't say he was weird. They couldn't say that. There was nothing they could pin to him justifiably to kill him. Other than if they were really honest, they would say, do you know what? He spoke truth and it made us uncomfortable. There was nothing, there was no human cause to pin on Jesus by which they could crucify him. It doesn't say blessed are those who are looking for persecution, who've got a persecution mentality. It's like uh, many Catholics, certainly in the Middle Ages, saw that persecution was meritorious, that if you were persecuted, it, it kind of, that gains you heaven by being martyred or by being persecuted. That got you heaven. Well, that's not what the Beatitude's saying. It's saying that you'll be persecuted, and that's a signifying factor that you're a citizen of heaven already. It doesn't get you into heaven. It, it signifies that you're already a citizen of heaven, and earth doesn't like you. It's, 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 some people have got this persecution mentality, and it's, uh, it's they, they see it's some sort of martyrdom sort of thing. But the fact is, persecution is just a fact of being Christ's. It says in 2 Timothy 3.12, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's not that you go, you go looking for it. I mean, that would be crazy to go looking for it. The, the Beatitude isn't saying we should go looking for it. It's saying that if you're a citizen of heaven, it's going to happen to you. You see, you might not be getting persecuted because maybe you're just a Sunday Christian. You kind of do the Sunday thing and at work on Monday, you avoid awkward conversations. You know, when someone's, I mean, passionately cursing God's name, you don't say anything. You just don't rock the boat. When the conversation turns to God and church, you just kind of shy away and don't say anything. You just don't want to rock the boat. Your agenda is to blend and not to shake, ruffle anyone's feathers. And you've become a Sunday Christian. And sure, you might avoid persecution. Jesus said in Luke 6, 26, almost as the, as the opposite, as the kind of flip side of this beatitude. He says in Luke 6, 26, woe to you when people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. You see, the Old Testament false prophets, the false prophets were the ones who just said the things people wanted to hear. And maybe you've become one of them, you've become a Christian, and your agenda is just to say things people want to hear and not ruffle anyone's feathers. And you're in tricky ground there because you can't live a life of conviction like that. And yet, the craziest thing is that the world sees the perfect Christian as the person who is a nice person, who doesn't ruffle anyone's feathers. The nice, the good Christian is the nice person who pleases everyone, who gets on well with everyone. Well, that's not what Jesus is saying the good Christian is. In the, on, the, on the other hand, he's not saying that we should go out and be offensive deliberately. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 32 to 33, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. So it doesn't say blessed are those who go looking for persecution. You know, it's just a fact of being a Christian authentically. Equally, it doesn't say blessed are the persecuted because of their, their wild-eyed fanatics. You know, they kind of, they go looking for trouble. You're, you're out there looking for an argument about Jesus. You're, as soon as anyone shows any interest in God, you shove the Bible down their throat. You're always, whether you're invited to or not, you're giving your opinion all the time. And you're quite aggressive in the way you speak. You're not connecting with people out of love. You're connecting with people out of almost a, a zealous anger. 
people are freaked out around you. And Jesus, Jesus isn't saying, blessed are you because you're persecuted because you're a wild-eyed fanatic. He's saying, blessed are you who are persecuted because of righteousness and because of for my sake. So some people are getting persecuted as Christians, but you're nuts. And you're going about it the wrong way. And that's not blessed persecution. That's just, you're a numpty. And you deserve that. Yeah, you, just, you need to deal with your attitudes. You need to mellow your approach. You're dealing with people in a way that's inhuman in a way that God didn't deal with people. Jesus treated people with dignity and respect, even if he disagreed with them. And you must do the same. So we see that Jesus isn't saying, blessed are you who are persecuted because you're a wild-eyed fanatic. <clears throat> the Bible says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you on my account. There's two reasons that you are blessed if you're persecuted. For righteousness' sake and for Jesus' sake. Jesus said, on my account. They're the only two justifiable reasons that you are blessed if you're persecuted. 1 Peter 4, 4 to 16 kind of sums this up and it says, if you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer... It should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. So what, what Peter is saying and what Jesus is saying in the Beatitude is this, very simply, that we suffer for lots of things on this earth, but the only kind of blessed suffering is when you're, you know what? You're just living an authentic life of Jesus. You're not being obnoxious and you're not also being a little cowardice wimp. You're being courageous. You're being clear. You have convictions. You're not apologizing for your convictions. You're very clear. You know who you've believed in, and you love people authentically, and you're taking a stand for truth. You're not, being, you're not shoving the Bible into people's throats, but you are taking opportunities, and you are sharing your faith, and do you know what will happen? What will happen is they will respond to you in the way they responded to Jesus. Some will love you, and some will hate you without cause. What is persecution? Well, according to Matthew 5.11, it says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you. Persecution isn't just necessarily physical attacks. And we see lots of examples of that and we'll look at that in a moment. But persecution is much broader than that. It's not just physical attacks, persecution, but it also includes revile you, utter all kinds of evil falsely against you. It's not just physical attack, it's also verbal attacks. The reality is, physical persecution isn't, doesn't happen much in the UK just now. It has. If you don't look so many years ago, it has happened in Edinburgh. There are many examples. It might well happen in the future, although we don't go looking for that like a, a person with a weird complex. But it isn't happening just now. But what will happen, nevertheless, is you will get the verbal stuff. So let's look at persecution in our world. Let's look right back to the early church. We see Jesus speaking to the disciples and the disciples knowing full well that that was what Jesus said. You're going to be part of my kingdom. You're going to be persecuted. Those 12 apostles and the other key leaders that emerged at the same time went on to be severely persecuted for their conviction in Jesus. They also went on to be world changers. And if you read the accounts of them, they were thoroughly blessed and happy people, right? So here's what happened to them. The apostle Peter, 
eventually was arrested. He spent nine months in prison and then he was crucified upside down under the reign of Emperor Nero, the Roman dictator. Andrew, the apostle, died on a cross in Patria in Greece. He was tied to the cross, not nailed to the cross. He was tied to the cross and suspended there so that the death would be longer. His cross was laid on the diagonal. So we have for the Scottish flag, the St. Andrew's cross, which is the diagonal cross. And that's exactly what it comes from. It's historic that St. Andrew, the, the great apostle, died on a cross laid at an angle. James, the younger brother of Jesus, 94 years old, he was thrown from the pinnacle of the temple in Jerusalem and he, he, he was dying, obviously, and then they fight, finished him off by beating him to death on the ground. Bartholomew was skinned alive in, Ar- in, in Armenia. James, the son of Zebedee, was beheaded in Jerusalem under Herod. You read about that in the book of Acts. What history tells us was, as he was led to be beheaded, the soldier who was commanded to do the beheading was watching James. And he was so utterly impressed by his courage and by the fact that he didn't even flinch, that the soldier was so convicted by the truth that he, before going through with the execution, he said, I need to get right with God. And James led him to Jesus. The soldier got on his knees and gave his life to God. And then the soldier and James were both beheaded. People with courage. Matthew, uh, who wrote the gospel of Matthew that the Sermon on the Mount is written in, he was axed to death by Halbert in Nabda in Ethiopia. Thomas was run through by a lance in the East Indies. Philip was hanged against the pillar of Heropolis in Turkey. Thaddeus was shot to death with arrows. Simeon uh, was crucified in Iran. Matthias was stoned at Jerusalem and then beheaded. Mark was killed in Alexandria as part of a pagan celebration. He was dragged through the city by ropes until he died. Jude was crucified in Turkey. Luke was hung on an olive tree by a pagan priest in Greece. Paul was beheaded in Rome. And the apostle John was the only one who survived of all the apostles. The apostle John died in old age on an island called Patmos where he was exiled. From there he wrote the book of Revelation which we have in the Bible. (coughs) The apostle John, they tried to martyr him in Rome. The Romans took him and put him in in a pit of boiling oil. By a miracle of God's he survived that without any injury. It's almost like one of the events taking place in Daniel, the book of Daniel with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He survived that. They were totally freaked out and they sent him to an island. Get away. And there he wrote some great books. The early church was persecuted intensely. Under Rome, it was an intense place to be a Christian. Christians were fed to the lions. Nero would wrap Christians in pitch and set them alight on on. on stakes in his garden to illuminate his garden at nighttime. This is where we get the title Roman Candle from. The emperor, the, the, the Caesars, saw themselves as gods, and they demanded worship from all their subjects from all the surrounding areas. Once a year, everyone was summoned to worship at temples, where they would stand before images of Caesar, and they would burn incense, and they would declare, Caesar is Lord. Christians in the, in, in the Roman Empire refused to do this. They were taken by centurions to the temple and they were ordered to pronounce Caesar as Lord and offer the incense and they would refuse. And it often resulted in their deaths and in great persecution. 
despite this, within 280 years of Christianity being birthed with the resurrection of Jesus, Christianity was now the world-dominant religion despite intense persecution. In the Roman Empire, a massive percentage of the Roman Empire had become Christians despite the intensity of the persecution. Currently, our world is facing intense persecution. The fact is there are more martyrs today in 2010 around our world than there were in the so-called bad old days of the New Testament. Here's a quick film clip um, by a charity called Open Doors that was started by a great man of God called Brother Andrew. Cue the clip. Ellos torturaron a nuestro pastor y al resto de la iglesia. Después vinieron y los mataron. Y nos dijeron que no podíamos orar ni alabar al Señor. Yo les dije, si me matan, voy a estar con Jesús. Ustedes me quieren matar o me quieren dejar vivir, no importa, yo gano. Jesús dijo, Have an awesome family. The fact is, according to the statistics, that there are an estimated 160,000 martyrdoms every year in at least 50 countries around the world every year. More than 200 million people in over 60 nations today are being denied their basic human rights because they are Christian. It's not that we're looking for problems. It's not that we're just taking a stance for the sake of taking a stance. It's that we've been captivated by the love of God and how could we deny him? And we have convictions as a result. Locally, I know many of you have faced maybe not the same intensity, but certainly the same attitude of persecution. I know the reality is, uh, there's one lady in our congregation whose partner said, if you go to that church, you know, in fact, he, he physically was abusive towards her and said, I'm banning you from going to church had another girl who became a Christian, and as a result of her becoming a Christian, her family just didn't speak to her for years, and the stepmother refused to come to her wedding because she was now a Christian. <clears throat> we have a, a girl who, who's coming to our church uh, over in the Leith services, comes from an Orthodox Jewish family. She has been estranged from her family for the past 10 years simply because she decided, I'm going to follow Jesus. Her Orthodox Jewish family have rejected her, I haven't spoken to her as a result. 
You know, there's a price tag to following Jesus. It's not the easy option. It's the best option. As I said last week, there's a guy in our church uh, who announced at Christmas time over the Christmas meal, hey family, I've become a Christian. And it's like you could have heard a pin drop. There was such an atmosphere, you could have cut it with a knife. And, and he said to me, Peter, I, I wish I'd just said I've killed someone or something because the reaction would have been better. <clears throat> but there is such a reaction between light and darkness. And that's as, that's as good as I can describe it. There is a reaction between light and darkness. When you come to light, darkness doesn't like it. When we started the church in Edinburgh, we found it a heavy duty job. You know, first of all, we were not welcomed in the slightest by the majority of the other churches. We were viewed with suspicion. Uh, we, were viewed, we were actively discouraged from starting. We were, uh, you know, the last thing I needed was discouragement, yet that's all I was getting from every Christian I spoke to. It was intense. That's why I make a point now, whenever church planters are coming to Edinburgh, I always try and do my best to go out my way to try and welcome them. And, to, you know, and if they want to know advice about the city, I'll give them advice about the city. And you know, every pastor feels threatened by new churches starting, but thank God this city needs good churches. So I try and make their experience different to the experience I had. Uh, I remember when we started the church, I was, we were leafleting, and I, I had people physically try and assault me while I was leafleting. And it wasn't like I was trying to threaten people or put hate mail through the door. I was inviting them to an alpha course, right? Can't get anyone easy going than that. And yet they were wanting to fight me. No, they're lucky they didn't because, <laughs> you know, I remember coming home, getting hate-filled answer machine messages. We used to put our home phone number on the leaflets we'd distribute in the early stages. Uh, and we would, I would come home and get hate-filled, I mean, venomous, venomous answer machine messages. And tragically, my wife got the call rather than me getting the call. And I wish I'd just got it because I just would have said, oh yeah, the guy just didn't like it, Angie. But man, the guy was aggressive. And the coward did the thing, put the key thing in so you don't, can't do the redial. What a coward. And if you want to talk about it, let us do 1471 and I'll shout, shout back at you, mate. <laughs> Although I wouldn't have. <laughs> I remember we had a meeting with a strange woman. Um, got to watch that, guys. I had a meeting with, this, this lady showed interest in the church and like no one else had, so that was great. So we, we were in to visit her and the church was about five people at the time. So, hey, 20% growth. Let's go and visit this person. <laughs> so me and Angie went around to visit this person and we, we, had, we just went around totally unsuspecting. And this lady just sat there and she turned and faced my wife, almost like I wasn't there, and she started, not didn't even know us, and started telling her why she should leave me and have nothing to do with this church. And flipping heck. <laughs> right, so... I understand the reality. If you want to advance something for the glory of God anywhere, if you're going to personally pursue the purpose of God, you will face opposition. And there's a spiritual dimension to that. I remember uh, we handed out, remember when we moved to Gorgi, we handed out those DVDs all around the area saying, introducing our new neighbors. Now we got some positive responses from that. Some neighbors took the time to say, thanks for that. Welcome to Gorgi. However, there were some really aggressive negative responses. And again, it wasn't like, really horrible propaganda we were sending out. It was just, this is who we are. Let's know if we can help you. We hate you. All right, I expected that. That wasn't... You know, the other thing I found really tough, and most pastors in the city would tell you the same, I find it really tough when people leave the church. I find that really tough. Now, this, I don't think this is bullseye exactly what Jesus is talking about when it talks about persecution. 
But I find it tough when people leave the church. People leave the church for different reasons. Some people leave, in fact, the majority of people leave for good reasons. I'm glad that's been the testimony of our church. Most people move on because they get married and move somewhere, or they take a job somewhere, and that's cool. That's great. We're not, we understand you're not all here for life. Some of you passing through, and we just hope we can be a blessing while you're here. However, there's been the occasional few who have gone with you know, anger against me or one of the pastors. And I have to tell you, never once have I ever set out to offend someone. And it saddens me that I give everything and yet people get offended. And here's the thing, and I just want to flip it just now. Just now we're talking about being persecuted, but let's talk about not being the persecutors for a moment. If you've left a church and you're carrying bitterness and hurt, deal with it. Please don't gossip about other churches. Please don't gossip about your old pastors. Please don't tell us how bad they were. If it's that big an issue, go back and talk to them about it. And if having put it right, you feel you want to stay there, then you plug in back into that old church. <clears throat> but listen, don't carry your hurt and bitterness and don't slag any other pastor to me in this, in this church. It's not that we necessarily agree with everything that goes on in every church, okay? And I'm sure there's things you could disagree with in this church. But just have a Christian approach to it. Don't be the persecutor. Thanks for your enthusiasm over that revelation. What is the source of persecution? Where does it come from? You know what? Becoming a Christian is definitely not the easy option. Jesus is saying, come follow me. You'll be persecuted. It's not the easy option. What you're doing when you're becoming a Christian is you are saying, I'm no longer going to live my way. I'm no longer just going to go with the flow of this world. I'm no longer just going to go along with the current. You know, if it feels good, do it. Don't resist anything. Just go with it. I'm now going to not go that way anymore. I'm going to choose to actively, I'm going to follow God now. Now, all of a sudden, you feel something you never felt before. You feel the current. You you didn't feel the current because you were just going with it before. But now you've chosen, I'm going to go God's way. All of a sudden, you suddenly feel a current that you you weren't even aware was there, and yet it was there. It was just leading you to a a waterfall that was going to kill you on the rocks. You were just going with it. But now you've taken a stand on it. And now you feel a pressure. It's not the easy option to be a Christian. Now you feel temptation stronger than you used to feel it, right? And now you think, why is that? Well, it's because you're standing against the flow. That's a good sign, although it doesn't feel comfortable. Now you've got an enemy, the devil. You see, when you were on the devil's side, right, the devil didn't punch you. And God, who was your enemy, he didn't punch you because he loves you. But now you're a part of God's team. The devil will punch you. You feel attacked like you never felt it before. But that's all right. It's a good sign. Becoming a Christian is not the easy option. Why? What is the source of persecution? First of all, persecution is a human reaction. Listen to A.W. Pink's quote. This is him talking about the beatitude, blessed are those who are persecuted. Strong proof of human depravity that men's cursings and Christ's blessings should meet on the same person. That is such a strong proof of the total depravity of our world, that one person God could consider blessed and others could consider their enemy. What a proof of the utter depravity of our world. Let me give you some examples from the Bible. Cain and Abel, Genesis chapter four, verse three to five. In the course of time, Cain brought the offering of some fruits of the soil and offered it to the Lord. But Abel brought the fat portions of some of the firstborn of the flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was angry, very angry, and his face was downcast. 
Hebrews 11 verse 4 tells us that by faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man. So here we see Cain, Abel being seen by God favorably and recognized as righteous. And then we see Abel sorry, being killed by Cain. Cain hated Abel. He was jealous of the fact that God showed favor to him. He was jealous of the fact that he was righteous. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. When, you're, when you connect with God and God changes your heart and you become someone who's forgiven, there is a reaction in people around you. It's a human reaction. It's like light reacts with darkness. It's like two chemicals reacting against each other. And what we see if you read on in Genesis is that Cain killed Abel. Now, notice that Cain was religious. He made a sacrifice as well. This wasn't the secular dude killing the religious dude. This was the religious dude killing the authentic dude. Dude means man. <laughs> so religious, religious people are often the greatest source of persecution. And here's the thing. It was provoked by jealousy. And if you're doing well in life, if God's blessing is on your life, some people will love that and celebrate with you, but other people will resent you and be jealous. It happens with churches. When a church does well and grows, sadly, some churches, while some rejoice, others are jealous and criticize. And they say, it can't be authentic growth. Then we see Saul and David, 1 Samuel 18, verse 6 to 9. When the men were returning after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from the towns of Israel to meet King Saul and singing and dancing with joyful songs and tambourines and lutes and electric guitars. And as they danced, they said, Saul has killed thousands, David has killed tens of thousands. It was something like that, okay? I'm just trying to help you to understand what it must have felt like in that moment, the kind of elation that was in the air. Saul was very angry. You can imagine the king, the guy, the ladies are coming out singing, that David's killed more people than you, king. I mean, that must have just been like red rag to a bull. And uh, Saul was very angry and refrained gall in him. That's strange. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands? What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. And what we see within a few verses of that is Saul tried to kill David with a javelin. And that was just the beginning of an intense persecution between Saul against David. For the next decade of David's life, he was in the run for his life until eventually God made David the next king. But notice what fueled that? Jealousy. He was embittered because he saw someone else doing well, because he saw the hand of God and giving him success. And what will stir persecution? is when you're doing well in God and people resent the hand of God in your life. And that can come from religious sources. Please don't be the source of that persecution to someone else. Then we see the example of Daniel. Daniel 6, 3 and 4. Now Daniel was so distinguished among the administrators and satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. And then we find that they set a trap and they eventually got Daniel thrown in the lion's den. But here was Daniel. He was doing so well 
And instead of them saying, isn't it great Daniel's getting promotion? They hated him and they wanted him dead. Then this example of Jesus. John 11, 45 to 48 and verse 53. This is Jesus. He just raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. An incredible miracle. He's called him out the tomb. Lazarus comes out, bound hand and foot in the grave clothes. And they unbound him. And there he is, completely made whole. Life has come back into his body. A miracle of God. God does those things. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to visit Mary and when they'd and seen what Jesus had did, did, they put their faith in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing the mirac- many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away our place, both our place and our nation. And verse 53 says, so from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Now, that's crazy. Because Jesus had just risen someone from the dead. Now, do you not think for a moment the religious people should say, wake up, call. But instead, why this incredible, this was irrational now. This was utterly irrational. They're reacting against the hand of God obviously work in their midst. Why is that? Well, I believe that it's not just a human reaction, but I believe beyond that, that jealousy gives the opportunity for demonic forces to stir a reaction, and it's irrational. You see, let me, before I move on to talking about other sources of persecution, let me just say this. Tragically, the history of Christianity has been sad that God does great things, but the old generation don't like what happens in the new generation. So we see the Jewish people resenting the Messiah coming and they persecute the Christians. The old generation persecutes the new generation of what God's doing. And then we see the Roman Catholics persecuting the Protestant reformers who just, just didn't come up with the new truth, they just discovered what the Bible said about you, saved by grace, and the Roman Catholics had intense persecution against the Protestant reformers, killing many. And then the Protestant reformers, uh, when we have the Anabaptists emerge and say, no, no, okay, it's great to be saved by grace. We agree with you reformers, but you need to get baptized as a believer. Then the Protestant reformers start killing the Anabaptists. And then at the turn of last century, we see the the Pentecostal movement coming, and then we see the Baptists persecuting the Pentecostals because, oh, you can't speak in tongues. And then the Pentecostals they become the old generation and the new generation of charismatics emerge to emphasize a far bigger thing than just speaking in tongues. And the pattern continues and still continues. You become a dinosaur when you start criticizing everything that new that God is doing. And you know what's really, it doesn't affect you all, but just so you know, it's out there. I'm so grieved today. You can type in the name of great speakers and great leaders and you type their name in Google and the first thing that appears instead of their website or resources that you can get to listen to is some little small-minded dweeb of a blogger who sits there eating chips all day, thinking he's a great theologian, writing stuff about how they're rubbish. And yet, you little blogger, Ouija dude thing, you've done zip all to help this world. You've done nothing to help anyone. You just think you're so big because you can use words and you know how to type. You're a geek. Oh, here they go. They're all offended now. Bye, geek vloggers. <laughs> so you've got to, you've got to so 
guard your heart from becoming judgmental. Don't become the persecutor, right? So what's the deeper cause of persecution? It's satanic. The apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 11, listen to how he describes the persecutions he went through. Being in prison more frequently, being flogged more severely, being exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Now, do you know what? After the first thing, I would have quit probably. I mean, this is just, no, hopefully I wouldn't. But this is just nuts. I've been beaten with rods. Once there was stones. Now, he's not, it's not talking about the way you were. This is talking about, like, attack. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been in danger from rivers. Rivers? In danger from bandits in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. You know, I'm a Christian, all right? It's just like one thing after the other. Paul is just hounded by nutters and crazy rivers. <clears throat> hounded wherever he went, and this guy just didn't quit. He just went for it for God. He was just so captivated with the love of God. He wanted to tell everyone he could about Jesus. But wherever he went, he faced persecution. You're not going to tell me that Paul wasn't a blessed person. He wasn't looking for the persecution. He never once looked for persecution. No person with a sane mind would. But he was a man of conviction. Now, how does Paul interpret those things, okay? Next chapter, chapter 12. First, sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 to 10. Talking about what he's just described in chapter 11. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord, take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and difficulties. He's talking about hardships, persecutions, difficulties. That's the thorn in the flesh, incidentally. Some people have wrongly interpreted that as illness. It wasn't an illness. It's hardships, persecutions, and difficulties, just as he talked about in the chapter before. Paul faced intense persecution. What was, this, what was the source of it? Paul said it was a messenger from Satan. And the great news is this, that even in the midst of that, God used that to keep him humble. God used that to make him stronger. God used that to make a bigger impact than ever before. So stuff will happen to you. And it might not just be persecuted. Maybe negative stuff happens to you in life. And the good news is, God turns it all for your good and for his glory. Peter said in 1 Peter 5, 8 to 9, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the whole world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Satan often is the behind the scenes instigator of persecutions. I saw that firsthand and I see it firsthand leading a church. I know you will see it firsthand. Do not be surprised when it happens. Do not flinch in your faith. Be encouraged in a strange kind of way. You see, it's spiritual. Therefore, it happens forever. The devil is as much here as he is in Iraq or Saudi Arabia. He's much here as he is in China. Now, sure, you might not get martyred or hung for your faith here as you would maybe in some of those countries. But nevertheless, those spirits are still at work. So while, the, and here's the reason why. 
because Christianity had such an impact on Britain that our legal system is based on Christianity and therefore there's huge protections on freedom of speech and on Christians. Therefore, we're living in a Christian legacy. It's not the current legacy, but it's the historic legacy of Britain. And therefore, we are protected. But nevertheless, the persecution's still there because it's a spiritual thing. And while the physical persecutions might not be the verbal insults and the false kinds of accusations will still come. That's the reality. And here's one of the reasons it comes. Matthew 13, 20 to 21. Listen to this. When trouble or persecution comes, why? Because of the word, he quickly falls away. It's talking about the weak believer who faces those challenges and just quits on God. And you need to know that the devil wants to get you off your faith. The devil knows that when you're in God's side, he has lost you. And he wants nothing more than to drag you to a lost eternity. God's truth is what saves you. Your connection, your faith in Jesus Christ is what saves you. And Satan will throw stuff at you to get you off that faith. That's what the Bible interprets, the persecutions, behind the scenes. So you hold firm. So I want to encourage you, see persecution in a positive light. What gave Roland Taylor, Bishop Ridley, and John Bradford the impulse to kiss their stake before they were burnt to death in those stakes in Ipswich? What would cause Chinese Christians to turn up at worship services that are illegal, undercover, in darkness, knowing that if they're caught, they face torture or imprisonment? What would cause them to do that? What would cause people to become Christian leaders in China where it's commonly known that the qualification to become a Christian leader in China is that you're willing to die? Why would someone say, I want to be a Christian leader in China? Why? The answer is in the verses. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Here's why you can rejoice. Here's why you can be glad. Here's why. Because you're suffering on my account, Jesus said. You are associated with him. Now, there's a reason to be glad. You're associated with God. The apostles in Acts 5, 40 to 41, it says, they called the apostles in and had them flogged. And then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then they let them go. And then the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy to suffer disgrace for the name. I'm associated with God. Wow. You see, you can only rejoice when you face that sort of intensity. You can only do that if you love God more than you love life. It says in Psalm 63 verse 3, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. If you knew how great God was, then stuff that goes on in this earth would just pale into tiny insignificance. Do you know what? God is the most amazing one ever. And I want to say to you today, if you're not following him, if you're not connected with him, you are missing out on ultimate life. You need God. And he loves you. You know, persecution, that's just part and parcel of the package. 
not you go looking for it, it's just part of being an authentic believer. But the deal is this, you're connected with God and you need to be connected with God. I urge you before the service is out, make your peace with God, put things right with God, believe in Jesus, give your life to him. The second thing that causes these people to be able to rejoice in the midst of persecution is because they know that heaven is their inheritance. Karl Marx mockingly said that uh, religion is the opium of the people. He mockingly said that. He said that our religion just keeps you going because you hope for a better life. That's what gets you through your suffering here and now. But actually, he was more right than he realized. But it wasn't a false hope like he thought. It's a true hope. Actually, when you're connected with God, heaven is an absolute reality. It says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's interesting, the Beatitudes start with blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And it ends with blessed are those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The Beatitudes are bookended with heaven. It's describing a person who, has a, who is a citizen of heaven. That's what the Beatitudes are. And here it's saying, you can rejoice, you can be glad, because you're a citizen of heaven. Now Jesus said this in John 15. He said, the world hates you. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. And you did, as it is, you do not belong to this world, but I've chosen you out of the world. This is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you, no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If, you obey, if they obey my teachings, they obey yours also. In other words, if you're walking with God, if you're pursuing him with authenticity, people will respond to you in the same way they responded to Jesus. And here's the truth. This is why you can rejoice and be glad. The fact that there's a bit of persecution coming against you identifies you as a citizen of heaven. You can take great encouragement from that because heaven is magnificent. Let me remind you, heaven is eternal. That puts everything into perspective. It changes everything when you see that. That's why Paul writes 2 Corinthians 4.17, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. And let me just skip ahead and end by saying you've got to keep on keeping on. In Revelation 2.10 it says, be faithful, Jesus said, even to the point of death, and I will give you a crown of life. The word crown of life is the Greek word stephanos. This is Jesus speaking to the church at Smyrna. Historically, the Olympics started in Smyrna. And Jesus speaking to the church at Smyrna said this, stick in there. No matter how hard things get, hold on to your faith in me. Your reward is eternal and you will be given a crown of life. Stephanos is not like a crown of gold that's placed on your head because you happen to be born in a royal line. Stephanos describes a wreath given to someone who has completed a race, who stuck it through to the end, to the finish line. And being an authentic believer it's probably the toughest thing you could be in this world, in a post-modern world. However, being an authentic believer is the most blessed, most satisfying life you could live because you are connected with him and because your reward is eternal. That's the best. The Cosmopolitan magazine got it wrong. Ultimate satisfaction does not come from living a life where there is no self-sacrifice. 
ultimate satisfaction comes from a life that's lived for God, no matter what that means. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you so much that you're the God of all eternity. You're the God who cares for every human being in this world. God, your heart breaks, I know God, when anyone suffers for any cause. But God, I also know, Father, that because of the nature of the way the world is, sadly, these things are unavoidable. That There is a clash between darkness and light. And God, we can live in the kind of isolated wests where we are completely blinded to the fact is that there are martyrs every day around our world. People dying, not because they've gone looking for trouble, not because they've been religious bigots, not because they've gone out to offend people, but simply because they've chosen to worship the true and living God. And I want to thank you in your presence, God, and honor you for the 160,000 this year who have held on to their faith right to the end. And I pray, God, that we wouldn't allow a Western culture to make us comfortable and unzealous or be Sunday Christians, but that we would be courageous, authentic believers that live for you no matter what. God, the amazing thing is we know that even in, in the intensity of persecution, your church just seems to grow, that nothing can keep it down. And I pray, God, that in our lives, God, when challenges come, that by your grace, we keep rising to the top. God, I anticipate as this church grows, we don't look for it, but I anticipate we'll face big challenges from both the religious and the secular in our city. But God, we will dedicate ourselves to praying for those who persecute us and loving them and not reacting, but responding. Just as we're closing, I'm going to give you an opportunity just as we're all praying. I'm going to give you an opportunity today why don't you give your life to God? Why don't you commit yourself to being an authentic believer in Jesus? You know very clearly from what I've said to you today that I'm not offering you a bed of roses, that God doesn't offer that to you. But God offers you an awesome eternal life and connection with Him. The reality is, following Jesus won't be the easy option but it's short-term pain, long-term gain. Following Jesus is the best option. It's the blessed option. It's the option where you'll see God's success in your life and God's blessing and favor in your life. So just as we're praying, I'm going to give you this option. If you're here today and you're saying, Peter, I need to get my life right with God. I want to follow him from now on. If that's you, I want you to pray this prayer with me, just very simply, one line at a time. Under your breath, repeat this after me. Pray, dear Lord God, thank you so much for your eternal love for me. Thank you that your love motivated you, Lord. And you were willing to come. And Jesus, ultimately you died on the cross. You died for me. You died to take my sin. You died so I could be forgiven. You died so I could have eternal life thank you thank you you rose again from the dead on the third day I believe in you I believe you're alive now 
today, Lord, I commit my life to you. From now on, I choose to follow you. Jesus, I declare you to be the Lord of my life from now on. Thanks for hearing my prayer. Amen. Okay, keep your eyes closed. If anyone prayed that prayer, I'd like to pray for you. I'd like to ask God to bless you as you embark on this new life with him. In order to know who I'm praying for, just while everyone else is praying, can you just identify yourself really quickly by raising your hand? Is anyone like that today? Before I pray, you prayed that prayer, you made that commitment, just quickly put your hand up and I'll pray for you. Thank you. Is anyone else? Thank you. Is anyone else? Thanks. Thank you. Anyone else? God, thank you. Thank you so much for these precious...